It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? Happy December! I can't believe it's time! Oh my god, it's been time in my house for like two months. Cash was crazy, like right after Halloween. And if you know my neighborhood, we are like the lights neighborhood. So if you didn't notice, when you were here a few weeks ago, it went from orange to white in one day. Like yeah. the day after. I mean, that's like the most ideal situation. Like you don't have to... Remember when like we were little, our parents had to climb up in the house and like take... The, I mean, my parents didn't put up Halloween lights. Like, you're just crazy. But like Christmas lights was like such a chore. And now like most people like leave them up and they're just like... They're just like hidden until they push a button. Oh, I wish that. I actually, I'm spoiled. I have our neighbor who actually puts them up for us because he has a lighting company. And I tried to do ours one year, but Wes is scared to go on the roof. So I had to go on the roof. (laughs) And everyone in the neighborhood was yelling at Wes like, you know what? Get on the roof. (laughs) But no, it was me on the roof hanging over. And then, you know, I just realized life's too short. I don't want to die falling off my roof. So we can pay someone to do that for me. Yes. So, Melissa, I know you're not really one that considers yourself one with nature, right? No. Like pretty much the opposite. Well, nature is actually a really nurturing place for entrepreneurs. Did you know that? I mean, I understand the like reconnecting with yourself, like being zen, not having Wi-Fi. It makes sense. Doesn't mean I like it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The zen piece is what (laughs) we both struggle with. I'm working on it. But for many fishermen, skiers, adventurers, campers, hikers, and bikers, like they have all been inspired to create products that enhance their outdoor experience. Yeah. And most of those products have been created to solve like a real life problem because they're they're out there like doing their thing. thing. They're like, I need this thing, this widget, this tool. Yeah. And so these people, they just figure it out. Like an idea is born and they make it happen. So today we're going to talk about how two brothers took a $300 cooler and built a $5 billion cult brand that many people like myself cannot picture their lives without. Oh, which one is that? Which one is that? Oh, oh what are you drinking out drinking of? she's drinking out of her Yeti and she poured, made me. I didn't even put that together. That's so funny. Yeti, yeah. it's that, It seemed like that brand, at least for me, came out of nowhere. Like I remember years ago, we do a lot in like multifamily housing and student housing and you were like, oh my gosh, we have to get a Yeti cooler for the giveaway. And I was like, what is a Yeti cooler? Like it's, it was all the rage with college students in like Auburn, Alabama. I know. I'm going to talk about that. Oh, it's perfect. crazy. So I really tried hard to bring all of my Yeti items in this room, but some of the coolers are too heavy, so I can't carry them on my own. And you're never going to believe this, but one of the Yeti coolers still has ice in it from last weekend. What? It's been like um, 87 degrees all week. And the ice and the drinks are still cold. Is that crazy? That's crazy. Yeah. So, 
But I counted all the pieces in my head and we have like 25 different Yeti products. Oh my gosh. Or like multiple cups. I mean, it's insane. So just imagine, I mean, we're outdoorsy people, but there's people that like live in the country and they must have like I mean, way I more. have a picture of you on the lake on your paddleboard, stand-up paddleboard with your Yeti beverage holder, your Yeti cooler strapped to the back. You're probably like wearing Yeti gear. I don't know, but it's like Alexis is synonymous with Yeti. And it has to be the, the teal. Turquoise. Oh, teal, sorry. Yes, teal. the teal Yeti, um, which also matches my Boti stand-up paddleboard, <laughs> which they actually partner all the time because the the little Yeti fits perfectly as a seat. Oh. Because you can't go paddleboarding and like be out in the middle of nowhere and not have a beverage, right? Yeah, but you don't need a seat because you can just sit on your paddleboard. So I was confused about that. Yeah, well, when you get lazy and you're like, you want to like sit paddling up. against <laughs> the wind, you got to sit down. <laughs> so, I mean, I was inspired by Yeti just because honestly, it just blows my mind how cool this brand is and how many people, how it is like a cult. Like people are obsessed with their Yetis. And when they have a Yeti, I mean, they can't stop talking about it. Yeah. So let me just give you the background. I think it's a super cool story. These two brothers grew up in Houston, Texas, and were just born entrepreneurs. Southern boys. Southern boys. And I actually listened to a podcast, and they're so cute. They're so mellow. They've got the accent. You know, perfect Texans. How old are they? They're a little older. I think they're like early 40s now. Okay. So like closer to your age than mine. (laughs) (laughs) So they grew up obsessed with the outdoors, fishing and hunting. And the cool thing is like every story they told, like they were by their dad's side. Like their dad never went by himself. Like they were from a young age just out there. Yeah. Which is awesome. So in the 1980s, as a part of a project he assigned to his students, their father, Roger, an industrial arts teacher, came up with a glue that could fix a common fishing rod problem. Okay. And it became so popular that his dad just started going to trade shows and, like, started selling these. And it just blew up. Like, he tells a story, Roy tells a story, one of the sons, that they went to this trade show and his it was like a big-time trade show. And they would go with their dad to all these trade shows. And this one was like one of the first. And they were so embarrassed because like everyone had like booths and it was fancy. And their dad had like a legit six-foot table, no tablecloth, had a little poster and was posted up selling his glue. I imagine he had his feet on the table just like, well, whatever happened. Buy buy some fishing rod glue. (laughs) So it was really cool though because the kids got to see – how their dad really started this small business from nothing. He had started in his garage, and all the family trips when they were growing up, like in the beginning, were centered around going to these big fishing and tackling shows. Yeah. Like, they didn't go on family trips unless it was, like, Like to that show. It was a destination to go to the show. Yeah. And they were, and it was, like, the family all had to help. They had to set up the booth. They had to take orders. Like, they really grew up in that family business. This really makes me feel like my kids are spoiled. I know. That's what I was thinking. Like, because Wes would grow up in his fixing vacuums and delivering appliances. And, you know, he did everything in his dad's business, which, you know, I bet we could start teaching our kids to do research on Google. I mean. (laughs) Minority, like, researches everything, including how much things cost that we buy. Oh, I know. My kids (laughs) do. They want to know everything. Uh And so, you know, the boys would go, Roy and Ryan would go along and they'd run around the trade show and after they set up the booth and they would really like start exploring all the different products at these fishing and tackling trade shows. And it started off just like, oh, we have to go help our dad work. But then 
you know, as they got older, they really started paying attention to a lot of the products because they were super into fishing and hunting themselves. So that really helped. Like they were ingrained in this like entrepreneurial culture from the beginning. Yeah, that's cool. So are their names Rory and Ryan? Roy and Ryan. Oh, Roy and Ryan. Yeah. Okay. Roy went to Texas A&M and Ryan went to Texas Tech. And after they graduated, they both just were born entrepreneurs and they were really close growing up, going to all these shows. And so they started cooking up business plans. You know, having worked with their father in the fishing rod specialty area, like they really knew what they wanted to do. So Ryan started a custom fishing rod business keyed to the Gulf Coast market because they grew up in Houston. Yeah. He said he had a great time, loved creating that business, made a ton of contacts, but never really made much money. Oh, I mean, that happens. <laughs> that happens when you're an entrepreneur. So Roger, the dad, had this cool, you know, glue company and started building custom rods. And then, you know, his hobby really was fishing. Mm-hmm. So he decided, again, real life problem, wanted to create something that could help fix his hobby. His hobby. Yeah. So he started like building boats mostly as a hobby, but then started integrating them into his product line and started selling them. And Roy thought that was brilliant. So he began to make like a true business of just creating boats. So he created customized aluminum boats for stocking redfish in the shallow coastal waters of the Gulf of Mexico. okay. So it started as his dad's hobby, but he got so obsessed with it, just took it and ran with it. Cool. Roy's customized boat, actually called for three coolers that were an integral part to the fishing itself. So it's like you stored the fish and like probably the bait or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But there was actually one that was the most important. And it sat for the in, beer. Yeah. For the beer, exactly. <laughs> no. Which I never knew this. It sat in the bow of the boat and was supposed to be used as a casting platform. So you had to be able to stand like any weight man had to be able to stand on this cooler and stand there and cast. Yeah. And then he had to be able to, you know, reel in the fish from there. So this cooler had to be pretty sturdy. Uh Right? So they loved the boat and the boat that they both built together was awesome. But everything but the cooler was great. Oh, because the cooler probably like couldn't actually hold the right everyone who stood on it. and Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't heavy duty enough. It wasn't durable. It was just like everything about the boat was durable and like resourceful and great for fishing. But they put on these coolers that were an integral part to the whole Like the experience process. of the boat, yeah. right? And, like- and they're like, God, these freaking coolers suck. Like we could do so much better if the coolers were better. So – that's what those brothers did. They put their minds together and they thought, we need to find a heavy-duty cooler. So they spotted an import from Thailand at a local retailer during a break from a trade show because they were just out and about and a lot of the retailers would bring cool products for these trade shows. Yeah. And they were super impressed with the ruggedness of the cooler. But the design and the finish really sucked. Mm-hmm. So Roy and Ryan bootstrapped like an import business to become a distributor for this Thai cooler because they thought like, it's not that sexy, but it does its its job. It's like rugged and like you can stand on it and it's great for fishing. You can throw it in the back of your pickup truck and it's like not going to get scratched up. But, you know, they like after distributing this Thai cooler, he knew that like 
this could be better. Like they wanted to do something better and they were doing great. They were making progress in sales and distribution of this Thai cooler, but the product still was like not right on. Mm -hmm. So they started having a lot of warranty issues and that really, like they knew it wasn't spot on, but the warranty issues, they're like, we got to fix this. That was like the the icing on the cake. They were like, okay, we're done. They're like, we're spending a ton of money we're, we're selling a ton of products, but now we're spending a ton of our time dealing with these warranty issues because we're the only distributors. Yeah. So they said, okay, we got to figure this out. So we got to fly. Like, what if, what, what, what could we do? So what if we did this to the cooler and did that to the cooler? And they started brainstorming, like, how to make like this trick cooler. out the cooler? Yeah. Like, <laughs> how could we make this cooler? Like, cooler. Cooler. <laughs> <laughs> make the cooler cooler. So, you know, they just got started getting so pissed off and they were like, we have all these ideas. We got to go to Thailand. So they flew to Why Th- Thailand. Like, is that just, because I know that's where this one was made, but like, were they known for their cooler production? Like, I guess back then, I mean, <laughs> that's, well, I mean, they're these two young guys, they're already, they're importing it from Thailand. So they're like, well, why don't we just, just go, go to the there. manufacturer, okay. give them our ideas and hopefully they can implement these things and our distribution product like the product will be better we won't deal with the warranty issues and we can sell more so they were they were thinking this guy could make it and they would like with their specs they weren't thinking they would make their own nope okay. they were like we just we're we just want to improve our distribution like being able to distribute more and not dealing with these shitty warranty issues yeah, totally. so they flew to thailand and they tried to persuade the manufacturer to make some improvements but after they got there it didn't work. It was like a complete waste of time. Mm. So they came back. At least Thailand's a cool place to go to. I know. At least they probably had fun. I didn't yeah. hear any s- stories about their Thailand trip. <laughs> but so then they were still frustrated. They're still distributing their coolers and they just couldn't give it up. They're like, we got to fix this. We're determined. So they actually heard about a plant in the Philippines that also produced similar products. And so they're like, we got to go. We got to figure this out. So they did it. They went to the Philippines, just the two of them, and they met these guys in the Philippines and they were like, this is a whole new level of creation and the process, the way they make these coolers, like this is next level. So they quickly realized like, wait, why would we like distribute someone else's cooler? Like we need to now make this our company because this product is badass and like no one's seen it. Took them long enough. I know. (laughs) Right? Like I was thinking of that. Come on, people. Come on. But I think they were scared. I mean, they saw how hard their dad worked in like inventing this product and it was easy for them. Like they didn't have to deal with creation issues. Like they basically just, the products were shipped. They had contacts. They just did more orders. Like they were a logistics business at this point. And marketing. And marketing, I guess. Yeah. So they left and they were like, this is our future. Now we need to come up with our own brand name. So obviously, like they were like, now as an entrepreneur to start a new company, they're like, shit, what are we going to do? So they actually were like, we got to sell our book of business. So they sold their book of business from the Thai import cooler and they didn't get that much. But so they're like, I wonder why they did that. Why they sold their book of business? Yeah, because like, couldn't they have resold those leads, the new cooler? Yeah, I don't know why. Huh. So they used the money from the Thai importing business, and then Ryan sold his fishing rod business too because he's like, you know what? We got to make this full time. We're, we're all in. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like they were arguing over so many things. One of them being product design, what they were going to do, and the name. Mm-hmm. But the craziest thing is like. You have to understand, first of all, how this cooler is made. 
They are made through a process called bilaxical roto molding. Mm. So kayaks and those like rolls right off your tongue. Yeah, great. <laughs> and if you look at the process, it's pretty intense. But kayaks and those like orange plastic barriers that you pass on the road are oh, made yeah. in the same process. Okay. So it involves pouring a polyethylene plastic resin into a mold and then heating it up and spinning it as the mold goes on two axes. As the powder liquefies, it layers across the mold and creating like this perfect product. Okay. Like perfectly smooth, just perfect. Seamless, perfectly smooth. Like the mold is awesome and this liquid solidifies and it creates this perfect mold. Mm -hmm. And the product is just like amazing. Yeah. It's like flawless. So it's crazy because when they first saw this process, they were in awe. They're like, what? This is crazy. We obviously have to redistribute this. But there's some key things that we have to make sure that are involved, not only in like the cooler making process, but like they were really frustrated by all these coolers they would buy and like they would be hauling it off their truck and the rope would break or the handle would break. Mm -hmm. So they were like, whatever we design has to have components that like whatever is breakable on this cooler has to be quickly replaceable and like fixable. You can't like be out in the middle of nowhere fishing and your cooler breaks and now you're screwed because now you can't store your fish. Yeah. So they said, like, if you're at home and your dog chews off that rope handle, instead of us sending you a replacement cooler, they will let the cooler know that they can take a flathead screwdriver, pop it out. Cooler? They'll let the cooler know? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, that'd be kind of cool. The cooler yeah. would be like, hey, guys. Sorry. So they let the customer know that, okay. Here's how you can fix it. You can take a flathead screwdriver, pop that out, and if this falls out, we'll send you a new one. But in Roy and Ryan's world, they said that anyone that has a dog and a truck is handy with a flathead. So if you don't own a dog and a truck and aren't handy, you can still feel cool with like this over-the-top Yeti that you bought. Like they wanted to make – You could not – you don't have to be like a man's man to enjoy this cooler. But if you are, like more power to you. More power to you. Uh And if it does break – you better be able to fix it. Like, it's easy to fix it, right? So, you know, they were so pumped. Like, everything they wanted in this cooler, they made happen. And the other thing is, like, they're like, we have to make sure that this cooler can retain ice. Like, they knew this process of the way the cooler was created could, but they ensured it. They did all these tests. And like I said, I mean, my Yeti can last five or more days with ice in it. Crazy. I mean, five days for ice in a cooler. in Arizona. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the beginning, like I said, like all brothers and entrepreneurs, they kept debating every detail and they would lose sleep over it. But the one thing they did agree upon, like instantly, was the name. So when they were little, they just remember being like scared of this ice monster, (laughs) the Yeti. And so like when they were talking about names, like, okay, what, you know, brainstorming and Yeti came out right away. And like, we have to, like they, they had a lot of childhood stories. They didn't use like an agency or anything. They just named it themselves. No, they came up with it. And then they like floated it to friends and family and everyone's like, Yeti, yes. So I mean, they didn't have an agency in the beginning, which is crazy. When they got their prototype, they'd realized they'd have to sell their cooler at a retail for about $300 a pop initially, which scared them because no market existed for a $300 cooler. And there was no point in selling these to like Walmart or Target. Like they needed another distribution path. Yeah. So they figured out, okay, we got to do what we did best. We got to call on hardware and tackle shops and like offer this proposition. 
instead of us competing with like Walmart and Target for selling coolers at $30 a pop and keeping a $5 margin, you can sell our cooler for $300 and we'll give you a hundred. Okay. So yeah. they like incentivize them to have an insane profit margin. So right away, like everyone accepted. Yeah. I don't know they if they really had believed Had there ever it. been a cooler that expensive before? I mean, there must – nothing? There had to have been some premium cooler. Nope. This wow. was the first one. Wow. So Ryan and Roy were convinced Yeti would sell to people just like them. So, because they created this cooler to solve like a real world problem for yeah. hunters and fishermen. So they continued to just like work small accounts, go to trade shows, and like do what they do best. Like just talk to people and tell them about this cool cooler. And so, cool, 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 cooler. <laughs> so at one of these trade shows, that's where they met head of advertising for sales advertising agency, which was Yeti's advertising. Sales? That's the name of the agency? Scales, sorry. Oh, scales agency. Okay. Yeah. And Is it that was- like a fish based agency? They only do fish products? I didn't even look into it. I mean, I feel like that is a very interesting name. (laughs) Okay. Walt Larson came up and he said, I love your product. It's awesome. And I love that you're going opposite of the market. However, outdoorsmen are easy to reach and it's inexpensive. And there's a monumental opportunity if you get a little more aggressive. Hmm. You can explode the market. And they're like, what? Like other people besides fishermen and people (laughs) like us would want to buy this? And Larson's like, yes, hire me and I will tell you why and what we'll do. So are you and I going to start going to fishermen trade shows now to pick up some new leads? I think so. <laughs> I'll be like, hire us. Well, I Just thought that was interesting. Us. Like maybe that was an interesting strategy for the agent, for Mr. Walt. Totally. So Larson helped him create this simple tagline, wildly stronger, keep ice longer. I like And it. he loved that their original marketing strategy of targeting, you know, the hunting and fishing crowd. Yeah. But he was smart he for was his like, age. He was like, you can get the frat boys, you can get the soccer moms, you can get the yuppies. Like- Everyone, but not yet. He actually said, let's hire true ambassadors. You're just going to these fishing shows. You're talking to like the average Joe. Let's get some true ambassadors, but we're influencers What at year the time. was this? This was 2008, okay. 2007, 2008. Okay. So in the first like few iterations of the marketing strategy, they hired like influential guides and fishermen as brand ambassadors. Like, like, like hiking guides, like outdoors guides, still yeah. outdoor focus. Outdoor focus, but then also focused on like top fishermen, like people who were award-winning fishermen that just had a huge following. Okay. And they were almost like celebrity status in their arena. In the fisherman world. In the fisherman world. So people were like, if that fisherman has that cooler, I need that cooler. Yeah. So they were like, we got to get it. So it worked. So in the first few years with every cooler shipped – they included a hat and a t-shirt as a conversation product. Smart, because then they're wearing them because everyone's like obsessed with the brand. And they knew like this is our market. Like hunters and fishermen, they freaking love t-shirts if Free it's like shit. a cool brand. <laughs> but like it wasn't some tchotchke like USB drive or like something. It was cool, like something they could use, you know? Yeah. And so when someone had like their philosophy was if they could provide the product that obviously worked to their ambassadors and to everyone, they would talk about it. And it became this like status symbol. Like I have a $300 cooler. Like even for the people that couldn't afford it, like people just wanted to, like they would save up all their money or they'd be an aspirational. Like they have to have this Yeti cooler. Yeah. So when someone had a Yeti cooler in the back of their truck, they like knew that anyone that had that cooler could defend the product. And it's so true. Like today I laugh like, any like Wes 
he like talks about this cooler. Like if I had a dollar for every time he told him about the five day ice thing and like, yeah, look at this cooler. And then I have another one. And then oh like, they're like so proud of their products. Yeah. So Ryan and Roy knew like the more it costs, the more people are going to want it because they're going to feel like they could afford this cooler. Yeah. Like they saved up for it. It was a big deal. Yeah. And even though like these promo items cost a lot of money to put in all of the coolers, they were smart. Yeah. And now they sell them for like, $25 a hat and $30 a shirt. Like pe- they have a whole merch store that people actually pay for now. Yeah. Which is course. brilliant. So this was like their authentic, like grassroots form of advertising in the beginning. So now by 2011, it just was blowing up. Their sales were outstripping their manufacturing capacity. And Ryan and Roy like were freaking out. Like they were, the sales were through the roof, but they couldn't fulfill. Uh-huh. And they knew if they didn't fix this or do something, they were going to get bad reviews. Yeah. And people, like someone else was going to create this. Did they have only, like, did they have employees at this point? They had employees and manufacturing plants, wow. everything. But they needed to do something bigger to figure it out. So in 2012, they sold a majority position to the Quartet Group, a private equity firm that brought in like operational experience. Like they didn't have outdoors experience, but like they knew logistically and operationally how to make shit happen. Yeah, Which made me think of someone else who has a problem like that. And should we bring someone else in to help us blow up quick? Who? Us. Oh. (laughs) You're just, you're like airing our problems to the world. <laughs> I mean, it's a good problem to have when you are blowing up. Blowing up and keep selling. I know. It's crazy. So we need employees, but we're getting there. So Yeti had an outsourced logistics team in 2012, and they bought this 35,000 square foot warehouse, and Ryan and Roy were like, we'll never fill this. This is crazy. Of course. What happens? They fill it in like five seconds. Three months into the warehouse, they filled that warehouse. Kind of like when we bought our 7,000 square foot building. We're like, we'll never need this much space. No. And now I can't even literally get a conference room to myself. Like, there's nowhere to have a conversation. It's like, it's <laughs> every square inch is need taken. way more space. So at that point, Ryan and Roy, they were still, their sales strategy was still the same. They were like using ambassadors, like organic word of mouth marketing. And, you know, their partners said, guys, we got to change it up. Yeah. We got to change our sales strategy. So they hired the head of sales for TaylorMade and they built like an insane sales team internally that focused not on just the ambassadors. They had like an aggressive sales strategy for Yeti. So like high-end retailers, like REI, Sportsman's Warehouse, like all these places. Like in the beginning, they weren't really focused on selling to them. and They were just direct to consumer. Direct to consumer. So when they did this, shit blew up. Like they just were, they were killing it with the ambassadors, but this just took them to a whole nother level. Yeah, It just blows my mind. Like, this is why I love covering these brands. Like they are people powered. I know, they like cra- are fuel. You've covered so many awesome ones that you just don't even realize like how much the market has taken the product to the next level. Like I know the owners did a lot to get it there, but like the people fell in love with it and they pushed the brand. Yeah, and I think there's so many brands right now that are like, we have to have this like innovative, intense like marketing strategy that has to include like the latest and greatest of everything. But like these guys use old school marketing tactics, just like talking to people and building a badass product. Mm-hmm. Like if you build a badass product and people love it, like they're going to talk about it, obviously, totally. right? Like, and if you're authentic throughout everything you do, not to mention like, creating a product that not only fits into a certain lifestyle, but like 
they've created like the Yeti lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Like, it is this like authentic, high-end luxury outdoors experience, which is insane. Like you would never think that you put the two together. Never. Like you think I was cracking up because, you know, we're out at our property in Colorado and it's like hillbillies. You yeah. think it's going to be hillbillies, but they're not. <laughs> they're like ranchers, just, just want to lead a simple life. But let me tell you, they how many of those guys had stuff. like the largest, like $1,500 Yeti cooler? Wait, they sell a cooler for $1,500? Yeah. So it's like, what? think about this. Like think about, I have that huge fridge that, you know, I store all this meat in yeah. my garage. Yeah. This is like that version of a cooler. Like people that go like for days on hunting trips, they need this like ginormous cooler to put their huge animals in. Yeah. Like their elks or whatever. They put their bodies in there. So that's the $1,500 cooler. It's for like Like deer hunting hunting, or like, I guess when you go competition fishing, you catch fish that are like ginormous. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, people are willing to spend good amount of money on products that- Those ones are for the true outdoorsmen. True Not like the- Guy who goes camping, like, in his Class A 40-foot RV, like, with internet hookups. Yeah. Okay. But, like I said, you can do all these cool marketing things, but if your product sucks, like, nothing's going to work, right? Totally, yeah. And, like we always say, if it solves a problem, a real-world problem. Like, it's going to work. It's going to work. Yeah. Like, you're in the money. So, let me just talk about Yeti's marketing because it's insane. They've created this, like, cult-like brand that is truly a lifestyle. And being able to afford a Yeti is one thing, but having the brand infiltrated into like every aspect of your life is another thing, which <laughs> is like me. I mean, 100%. legit, I have the coolers, I have, you have the cups, cups? Yeah. I have wine cups, I have dog bowls, uh-huh. I have a carry-on bag, I I'm have sorry, a backpack. Dog bowls is bougie AF. <laughs> I know, they were like 50 bucks, but let me just <gasps> oh tell you. Oh my God, Alexis. But have you seen them? You can custom engrave like the name and Dana design Texas's face. <laughs> I know. Bougie. But guess what? what? Like it, I'm telling you, it's a lifestyle. Like I love my Yeti products. Totally. And I mean, I told you, I have a carry-on bag that's free like Yeti because the compartments, yeah. like they just get it. So when the Schneiders founded Yeti in 2006, there was like no precedent for highly indestructible luxury coolers priced between $250 and $1,300. So like this was a clever brand strategy that just broke the mold. They were like, we're going to price our cooler high and too bad. We're going to be a luxury item and the people that want to pay for it are going to pay for it. And in the beginning, they weren't thinking like celebrity. They were just thinking people who wanted a high quality product that had money to pay for this they could afford this cooler, yeah. right? Is there a lifetime guarantee or warranty or something on them? Well, I don't know if they even need it because it's wait till you see okay, this okay, marketing. Okay. So they created this like top-down pyramid marketing approach to creating this product that wasn't on the radar of anyone. Pyramid? Yeah. Huh. It's crazy. They like made it into a household name for fishing and hunting lovers across the country in the beginning. So they started off by like sponsoring hunting and fishing programs on television stations, like when they first, after the ambassador strategy, right? Okay. And Corey Maynard, another Maynard, oh my gosh, VP of marketing for Yeti said in its early advertising campaigns, like we were just trying to focus on reaching influencers and presumers. Presumers. And, yeah. Like people who presumed they would be or fit into this lifestyle, which is crazy. So they started creating these like authentic storytelling commercials and they featured in the beginning, like 
real stories by real people, and some of them were even their friends, which is awesome. Yeah. And in the beginning, like, the commercials weren't really, like, they didn't have a huge budget, and they weren't reaching millions of people, but they were reaching, like, serious hunters and fishermen. And that was their market, so and that was smart. That would, what their market was. So it would reach 100,000 or more hardcore hunters and fishermen who would be the person within their circle who would, like, Tell everyone else. Just like Uggs when they were like, we're just going after surfers. Yeah. And they, so they just went after that core market and they were confident. Like as soon as one buddy in the fishing, like, cause typically people go together, right? Totally. They go so on one guy group. got it and everyone was like, wait, what's that? And what's he's like, that? oh yeah, you haven't heard of Yeti yet? Yeah, like, like, I feel like, again, I feel bad for talking shit about Wes, but like, <laughs> I feel like he's kind of like Yeti. He's like a Yeti shamer. Like, you don't have a Yeti? Like, I feel like he says that to people. Like, he, Oh, you don't have a Yeti? I'll just bring my Also, floors. like, I just want to say, um, if you're looking for an idea for a Christmas present for me, like, I don't have a Yeti. Really? You don't have a Yeti cup either? Uh, no. Oh, my God, Melissa. But I want the cooler. The cooler is, I will get you the cooler. And now they have so many awesome colors. But, so yeah, they knew it. Like, they knew that their buddies would, like, ask about the gear. And they, like, had strategic placement. Again, like, the people who they knew, like, would spend money on the best gear. Like, that's mm-hmm. what they knew. They're like, we're going to target these people that will, like, it's not hard to convince. Like, they're the guys with the latest, like, their boat's the they best. They have all the like, gadgets. All the all gadgets, the things. you know? Yeah. And so, like, this strategy quickly morphed into, like, this unknown cooler brand to, like, the must-have product for serious hunters and fishermen. Yeah. It was crazy. So, they, like, kept on with that strategy, and it's so unconventional. Like, it is continued today with their storytelling campaigns. And mm-hmm. right now, they actually, like, don't even – they create commercials, but they've been producing high-quality web videos that tell, like, these intense stories about family, adventure, and survival. In one of the videos, the brand features an 80-year-old, tough-as-nails, barbecue pitmaster named Tootsie. Oh, it's a chick? A chick. Yes. And another one – is like a full-length documentary that follows this man who was shocked by 2,400 volts of electricity in a freak accident while hiking. What? And so, like, they're just telling these awesome stories, and people are watching these full-length documentaries now on Yeti, and that's, oh like, their gosh. commercial. And they're like, you know, the other thing is, while we want to integrate our product in all these films, it's our priority to tell stories first. Like in all of their beginning, like grassroots videos, they weren't like, you know, a lot of products are like Yeti, like they drop it in and it's yeah. like front and center. And it's like clearly an ad. Clearly an ad. No, this was all about like, I'd be out there filming you, driving your pickup truck, you know, out in the wilderness. I'm like, so Melissa, what are you doing today? And you're like, I'm out here just duck cutting, you know, doing my thing, telling us about you and the country. And then all of a sudden you'd be like, we'd pan and you'd actually just be sitting on a Yeti cooler and you could barely see the brand name. And it just slowly started with like not even, never even zooming in. Like it was like people holding the cups, all this stuff. Like, and that strategy stuck. Lindsay Harrison, their content marketer said, people know when they're trying to be sold to. Oh, totally. And they're like, we don't want that. Our goal is with branded content to allow people to emotionally connect to the brand. She's like, there's a time and a place to like push product hardcore. But like in our films and our commercials, that's not it. Like we just want to tell people stories and like show the brand in real life, like what it does best. I love that. So it's crazy. 
They tell stories that you wouldn't even expect from a cooler company, but they have a method to their madness. Like Yeti customers have diverse habits. They barbecue, they fish, they hunt, they camp, they ride, and the list goes on. I mean, they throw backyard barbecues. That would be the That's reason it, I would have it. Right? It's just for the backyard barbecue. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we, John. Or just, Country Thunder. Or Country Thunder. Well, that's kind of like, yeah, tailgating, right? It's like bougie tailgating. So once they started selling like more coolers, cups, and bags, they realized who better yet to target? Tailgaters. Uh, you nailed it. Yep. And that took off like And college wild students, fire. tailgaters, that's where they really, that's where I started learning about it. Yeah. And I was just, you started off by saying this, but I remember when all these student housing companies that we were doing marketing for, you know, we were trying to come up with giveaways and incentives to get people to lease. And we legit came up with the promotion that said, if you lease today, we will give you a Yeti cooler. And when that promotion ran... We jumped like 40%. But we gave everyone a Yeti cooler. Yeah. I thought it was like a raffle to enter to win one. No, because they, remember at, at one point, some of these markets were like giving $500, $600, like yeah. everyone would get it. Yeah. So that's the definition of success. If like your product can not only like drive sales because it's an awesome product. But it can drive other people's sales if you give it away. <laughs> I mean, that's like magic. I know. Right? And drive people to like... Take buy a instant. home or lease an apartment, that's a huge yeah. purchasing decision. Instant action because wow. they're like, oh, yeah, I want the giveaway. That's crazy. It is crazy. So, you know, obviously they're taking off like wildfire, but they've always had like this huge challenge. And in the beginning, the challenge was even bigger because they had to show people, like they could talk the talk and say, look, our coolers are made with this cool, like roto-molding technology and they're indestructible and blah, 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 blah. And obviously people are like, yeah, that's cool. They're tough. Seems cool. But does it really happen? And they sought out to like prove people wrong. So they created this campaign called the Yeti versus campaign, which (laughs) I was like busting up laughing. So they created all these spots. Like they were hilarious and entertaining. And like Yeti versus like Yeti versus destroy it. (laughs) So the first video I'm going to talk about is one was a 500-pound professional wrestler and strongman, Big Bald Mike. Uh, 500 pounds? <gasps> but when you look at him, he doesn't even look like fat. He's just like thick, wow. right? And so like Big Bald Mike had to do his best to destroy this Yeti cooler. And the video like goes on for two minutes and 49 seconds, and he does like everything, but he falls short. Like he cannot destroy the cooler. Wow. And wow. this video attracted like... 200,000 viewers like that. And then there's another one because they say, you know, they market to hunters and they said, this cooler is indestructible. Like you can leave your cooler out at night, which that's a thing. Like you can't leave coolers out at night because bears will just yeah, freaking attack camping. them, right? Yeah. And so there is like the Yeti versus grizzly one. And so check this out. They film videos of a grizzly bear just like attacking. Trying to destroy a Yeti. Yeah. Oh my God. Let me show you this video because it is insane. Oh my God. She just showed me a video of a lot of things, including a bear trying to destroy a Yeti, the 500 pound man. And then they put fireworks inside a Yeti and it just like turned the inside black. What? Like not even a scratch. That's It was just black. Is that crazy? So these videos went viral and like people are like posting videos of bears trying to attack their coolers. Like it became a challenge. Oh my god! Okay, check this out. And actually, I'm not gonna lie, we tried to run over one because we were like also like, there's no way. So we tried to run over a Did cup. Did you film it? 
No, but it didn't squish. Okay, oh check gosh. this out. Designed to take any abuse you can dish out. All right then, challenge accepted. This one guy, and there's tons of videos like this. This guy runs over the Yeti like growler in his huge pickup truck going 70 miles per hour. And he's like, oh, I lost the label. Still good though, lost the label. He shoots a gun at it. He shoots an, or first shoots an arrow, then shoots a gun and just keeps like doing everything. And it's like, it truly is indestructible. Like oh my he had God. one little scratch on the stainless steel one from the arrow, but that's it. Wow. Is that insane? It's crazy that they actually are that indestructible. Yeah. And it's like people just kept going on and on. But so that viral, like the viralness of those videos, the virality or whatever the word is, like that must, they must have just exploded. Exploded. Because any of all these frat boys who are like, oh, I'll try that, you know? Yeah. And like people just went, <laughs> even Wes in the cul-de-sac, <laughs> run over Yeti Tumblr in it with Wes's Jeep. And I'm like, no way. It freaking did nothing. Oh my gosh. And that Jeep is like 10,000 pounds or more. I don't know. It's crazy. I kind of wish I could like protect my children in like Yeti coding. Yeah. <laughs> Yeti. That's a brilliant business idea. Do it. Yeti armor for kids. Okay. Credit Melissa and Alexis or <laughs> Melissa. And then, you can have some credit. Yeah. Okay. Come on. So, I mean, it's just crazy. So, whatever audience segment like they belong to, the Yeti brand has become an opportunity for like self expression. And this sentiment is captured perfectly by Yeti CEO, Matt, who said to the New York Times, we talk about being built for the wild, but we don't want to ever define what the wild means. Ooh, good quote, good Matt. quote, right? In an interview with Scott Balview, Yeti's head of content, he said, people in the long run want to feel a part of a tribe or feel like they're contributing alongside like-minded people. And that's how a brand becomes a brand. People put bumper stickers on their car and wear hats because it starts to stand for something bigger than just a cooler. When there's a soul or a purpose or some sort of philosophy, people begin to connect with things that gives them purpose. So if you're a fly fisherman and wear a Yeti hat, that means something. I don't think people are wearing their Yeti hats because they're proud of ice. I think content like ours gives a brand a soul. Ooh, damn. They're like got good spokespeople. I'm Whoever pretty their sure PR their, is, yeah, pretty awesome. their PR person wrote that quote. Except for huh. they have a crappy PR team in Scottsdale. Why? Just wait. All right. One more thing. So Yeti actually attends five events a week just to talk to their customers. Like their strategy isn't like to sell coolers. They just like sponsor events and they just want to like see people's reactions and ask them questions and like just bond with their customers, which I think is great. Wow. And same with their social media. Like when they, if you look at all of their posts, it's like they're talking to a friend. It's so authentic. It's not like salesy. It's legit. Like if I was posting on my social media, like you wouldn't think it was actually a brand. Wow. And obviously it works because they have 1.1 million Facebook followers and 1.6 Instagram. One point what? One. 1.1 million Facebook followers? Wow. And 1.6 Instagram followers. And like each of their YouTube videos has like hundreds of thousands of views. And the crazy part is they did most of this, like most of their success stemmed before they even had a brick and mortar store. What? Is that crazy? Wow. So this is the last thing I have to talk about because I am blown away and it got me more excited. Like, again, I love it, this experiential stuff. I, I want to get more into it for Serendipit is in true Yeti fashion, like they 
wanted to build their first flagship store in Austin, Texas, because, you know, the boys were born in Houston, then they moved and really grew up in Austin. So they found a warehouse that was like crazy. I mean, it was old. It was built in the 1930s, but it had survived some of the worst floods of the 20th century. So they're like, we are going to be in a building that's like indestructible too, just like (laughs) our floors, which is brilliant. What a cool story. Oh my gosh. And so they actually put like the designing of this building and like the interiors out to bid. And they had bids from architects and space designers and like all your traditional people. But guess who they picked? An Austin-based ad agency. To build out their McGraw-Jesse. We wanted to build a place that was less about being a retail store, more about being a kind of complete expression of the Yeti brand. Gathering Which is freaking brilliant because check out this space. So when they hired them and like a part of this RFP, McGraw-Jesse said, we want to create something that is part shrine, part museum, part backwater bait shop. To be able to Ooh, I like that. So, like, all the other people, you know, did cool merchandising displays. Like, they put cool ideas out to play, but nothing was like this. So, in this building, sharks hang suspended above you, and then... Sharks? Sharks, okay? And then the open bed of a pickup truck invites you to sit in it. This is, like, more than just a product space. It's where, like, aficionados come to hang out, and unwriting newbies get a complete sense of what Yeti is all about. The exterior is instant innovation. It hosts a bar where people can grab a cold drink before heading inside. The design inside includes like a giant Yeti Rambler tumbler sliced in half so they can you can see like how it's created and what's in the middle of these tumblers. Uh-huh. There's a stage mounted on coolers, iron welded hangers, like local reclaimed wood, a faded Coors Rodeo Barrel, and giant bottle cap wall made of, like, all Texas brand beverages. Wow. So they tried to stay as local as they could, but, like, they also wanted to include, like, cool historic features, which is insane. And there's even a barbecue pit that belonged to restaurateur Aaron Franklin, like Franklin's Barbecue in Oh, my gosh. It's, like, 8,000 square feet of awesomeness, and... Their goal was, like, to create as much of, like, a community event space as a retail outfit. Love it. Is that awesome? I want to go visit my sister and stop by the store. So they have nine stores, and I'm so bummed that their ninth store I knew nothing about. Like, it's at Scottsdale Quarter. Oh, my and God. That just opened. It's like, no press, no nothing. What the heck? So super lame. Nice. Let's call Getty and be like... We're your girls. Next time, we can help you. Yeah. So. We could still. It's not next time. We could still do some cool shit, Alexis. We can't. Just because it just opened. Call them. I'm going to call Yeti. All right. I'm going to cite my sources. Adweek had an awesome article all about how the ad agency designed its first crazy cool retail space that wasn't really a retail space. Adweek had an awesome article that focused on how stores can be function, not just fashion. Uh-huh. Campaign Live talked about like the abdominal pitchman and Yeti coolers and how they created this high-end brand that took the nation. And lastly, Outside Journal featured a ton of cool articles about their content strategy. So Ugh. I don't know. I'm pretty impressed. I mean, I had no idea that whole story and like 
I love the way that they approach their marketing and they mm-hmm. continue to. People powered brands. Seriously, that's just your just jam. Authentic. Yeah, I love it. Well, this was so good. Thank you, Alexis. And thanks for listening. Please leave us a five-star review. We would love it on Apple Podcasts. Share this episode or any other episode you love with your friends. And we're on Instagram. You can email us. Like, we want suggestions. Like, what other brands should we cover? And what better not to ask for Christmas but a suite of Yeti products? Oh, my gosh. Because totally. I'm just, I'm not going to lie. You can't just have one. Like, you, you got to have a lot. You got to have, like, at least the cooler and the tumbler. And, you know, if you want to go as bougie as me, get the dog bowls. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.